0: We all know that cars mean traffic, errands, and budgets. But they should also represent freedom and fun. Join us as we work to find everyone a car they'll love. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Tuesday. I was actually just getting into a discussion with a friend of mine, and he's, he's pretty ticked off at GM right now because he claims, well he doesn't claim, it is so good that the Corvette... ZR1 is so good, he's waiting for the C8 Corvette, and he says, how are they going to make it that much faster or better? So we got into this long discussion about, you know, engines and hybrid and what's coming, and he said it might be enough to turn me into a Ford guy, and this is a guy who loves Pontiac, he goes way back, so you're actually sitting in the room with two Ford guys, I've got Chance on the podcast with me, welcome man, thanks for being back. Hey guys, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, you've got uh, actually questions on here, people are asking about your Porsche collection, <clears throat> yeah. apparently people think you have a giant collection of Porsches. Well, there's two. You do have two. Two. Well, yes. Todd is currently on vacation. He took uh, the little guy. He's got a uh, a spring break vacation, so he took the family away, and and he's getting some R&R. So he's currently on vacation, so Chance has joined us, and we get to talk about all kinds of cool stuff. We've got a great podcast for you guys, and uh, the topic Tuesday is very interesting it is The Burden of Car Inheritance, a, a question and email from Shane Swartzlander. Shane, thank you so much for writing. And we are turning this into a topic Tuesday. I thought this could be more of uh, stories. I certainly have stories to yeah, share yeah. about, you know, just car inheritance in general and kind of what that means and how you feel and kind of how you deal with it. And then we also have a debate here from David S. He is wanting something that is closest to BRZ. And I thought that could tie in. I mean, here you are, an owner, former owner. Former owner yeah. Do you yeah. miss that car at all, by the way? Sometimes. Do you? Sometimes. I mean,
1: because you've graduated to 9-11 land and you're special. I honestly, I missed it during the winter. Did you? And cause that that car really shined in the snow for me, at least as far as, you know, you can throw it around and just play with it so easily. True. And it's so controllable. Even on winter tires. Well, yeah, even on That's snow tires. That's when you were playing with it. Wasn't whereas it? whereas yeah. the 9-11, it would do it, but it wasn't really the funnest car in the snow. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. So, and the L- whole little, little little bigger of a car to kind of don't want to like give yeah you a paper can pour lemon juice in it but yeah when you ding the rim and the whole thing. yeah
1: we we can talk about that here in a minute all right all but, right uh, I'll let you
0: do that we do have a lot up front guys uh, season four is uh, fully we're we're now past uh, our television season off of Motor Trend and all of the episodes are now playing on Amazon Prime and Vimeo and a question came from Zach W he's in Canada just looked at our patron page and he said for the second tier which gets access to all of our video content is that accessible to him as well up here in the great white north and he said or is there a weird thing with Amazon unfortunately we don't control the uh, the folks at Amazon so that's why we put it on Vimeo but that does lead me to a good comment here about patreon.com if you go to patreon you can you can search for everyday driver and you've got three tiers. We've completely revamped everything, and many of you have signed up and re-re-upped re, uh, your Patreon subscription. Yeah. I'll say. So we've got the fan tier, which is the first tier. Then we've got collector. And then what we call the, the top tier is board members where we, you get on a zoom call monthly with Todd and I. And it's just a hangout and we call it board member because, you know, we kind of talk. Here's what's coming up from our episodes and, you know, cars we're thinking about driving that, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. A place to bounce ideas off each other.
0: Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, people get to chime in and say, Hey, what about this car? Which is pretty cool. So patreon.com. Look at that and. It's also on our own website under the About tab, I believe. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you, it is. But on there, we are starting something new, and you've heard us talk a little bit about that before. It's called Discord, which is essentially a text chat for gamers, but we're using it as a forum for enthusiasts. And thank you to Matt Waffleofagus. He has set all this up for us and helped us get into the Discord platform now and so you'll see todd and i jump in occasionally and uh you know you can talk to a bunch of other people and it's it's pretty awesome you know yeah. people are now having a way to just kind of have a, a private you know knowing that you're your fans of the show and knowing kind of the the things that we talk about so you've got you know other folks on the community there is which is pretty cool
1: yeah i'll be on there pretty soon as well I haven't quite set it up yet but uh
0: yeah, it's all, it's all happening, but it's definitely grown, so thank you guys for joining us on Patreon there. I also wanted to tell you about Pilgrimage 2019, which is also now on everydaydriver.com. You are cordially invited, I'll say, to the pilgrimage trip. It's scheduled. <laughs> all the informations on the website under the adventures tab, everydaydriver.com, and this is our annual driving trip to the Ring End Spa. Yeah it is planned. it is o- openings are available. highly encourage you to go. this is, uh, this is the adventure.
1: Yeah. And all you have to do is get there. To pay for your flight and everything else yeah. is set up. You don't have to spend yeah. another cent if you don't want to. Granted, you're gonna to want to spend money on swag. Yes, I,
0: I say set a separate you know, the separate yeah. fund yeah, for yeah. All the t shirts and jackets and hats and stuff that you buy.
1: Your food, cars, hotels, everything is all included in the price that you see on our website. Yeah, it's
0: it's awesome. I mean, to the point where you're gonna to want to pull up both tracks on your PlayStation or your Xbox or whatever, and you're going to practice for the next five
1: months <laughs> <Yep>.
0: <laughs> and get to know these tracks, although you will learn when you're at the ring that they do sort of poo-poo anybody who has driven it in, uh, in the game and say, you know, it's, uh, it's mostly there, and it'll teach you the track layout, but it, it does not compensate for compression and elevation. It does not teach you that. Yeah, that's true for any track, really. Very much so. I mean, many tracks are fairly flat.
1: Unless you've got one of those like $50,000 simulators that's on hydraulics and and does all that, then yeah, if you're sitting there in your living room with a controller, it's just not going to happen.
0: Exactly. So guys, all uh, all the info is right there. So you can go to the frequently asked questions on there. And again, what Chance mentioned is the reason airfare is not included is because we don't know where on the planet you're coming from. But once you're in Frankfurt, you belong to us, you are ours, everything is included, your transportation, your hotels, food, drink your time on the ring and instructors in the car with you. So we're not just plopping you in a car and, you know, kicking you out the door and saying, have fun, yeah. go figure the track out. No, yeah, yeah. we are, we're putting you in car. And then if there's instructors in the afternoon wandering around and I will say, grab an instructor and bring them with you. Not only are they working on your driving skill, but they're working on the track layout with you. Yeah. Everything that you learn or think you know about the video game version will be completely thrown away <laughs> But what's cool is once you get home, you'll practice it the correct way after yeah. having learned all this stuff. So
1: Yeah, I know that some games will show you what their perceived race line is. and That's not always correct.
0: Yes, exactly. But what you get from the instructors is little tips and tricks and secrets that, you know, the game designers never thought of. They'll right. say, well, if you hang on to your brakes here and then it settles the car and then you turn in... Then, you know, your, your skills right. and your knowledge of the track proliferate. So, pilgrimage is on there. Yes, everydaydriver.com, go up there. And uh, also, a place to contact us for your debates. And uh, I do want to say, coming back to my original thought here about my friend, we were getting into this little thing about, about GM. He's so much thinking about coming over to Ford. I said, Welcome, man. Come on over to Ford. <laughs> we love Ford. But there's a question from Greg McDonald here. Greg McDonald too asked, "Did I see the article about the transmission being used in the new C8 Corvette? That is also the one used in several Porsche cars. Did you see yeah, the new, new eight-speed. You're right. And I, it's my understanding that the Porsche PDK comes from a collaboration with ZF.
1: That's what I've heard too.
0: And that's where it all comes from. It is a, we'll just say collaboration. We don't know to what degree or what percentage one company contributes, but we'll just say collaboration. And I have heard this." His frustration was that GM is a big enough company to go do this on their own.
1: Yes, but you look at okay, Jeep, for example, your old Grand Cherokee had an eight-speed ZF. The I mean, same, it's very common. It was in a to lot this. of in Jaguars and yeah. you know, name the product. It was in a lot of things. Transmissions are one of those pieces that no one makes their own. True, they, they really don't. Uh, true. Uh, he was
0: just saying, you know, he he bleeds Pontiac. He, he sure. loves General Motors, has for a long time. Yeah, yeah. He's got a 67 GTO that he's had since he was 15. It's had, you know, 800 horsepower drag engines. It's been set up for street racing. It's set up for track, you know, road course racing, all this stuff. And he loves General Motors stuff. But he was saying, you know, I want it to be an all original, all American, everything done by GM. I don't want them to outsource. I want it to truly, if they're going to make a mid-engine platform and it's going to be faster and I I said well you know every number's got to be more because <laughs> yeah. more is better right yeah, yeah. I mean we're that's going to happen but he was just his point was he wants it to be just GM I said buddy I I know this is a business decision they yeah. still have to make money on these things and
1: well, they got to keep the price down I, somehow <laughs> they do I, mean, I, I mean, keep hearing rumors of 50 60 grand for the base and I'm going to be shocked if they can keep keep Near there myself. I mean, but if we'll, they, we'll do, see what they do,
0: wonderful. But you're right. They've got to sell cars here. Yeah. And it's going to be a halo car, so they can't invest all this tooling into cars that, you know, there there is a market there. But how many people will buy the new med engine, given the fact that the ZR1 is so good? And a Z06 currently is so impressive. Yeah. And so this was his point. He he wants it to be just very special and unique to GM. And I said, I get it, man. That's what Pontiac engines were back in the day. They were different than the GM corporate block. Pontiac was very much a different philosophy. But then, you know, over time, they got kind of sucked up into the GM, you know, the the huge corporation. And now they're gone. And so that was his point. He wants it to remain really a thing. And I said, buddy, I get it. Well, we've got to get to this topic Tuesday, which is from Shane, as I mentioned and I thought you could offer some of these stories as well. And and uh, you know, since Todd's not here, we we'll get to talk about low tie.
1: That's true. That's true. That's the exact car that this uh, that this gentleman is is referring to. So his wife and I and him recently uh, they got a Lotus Elise from his father in law, who unfortunately passed away at a very young age of fifty eight. Yeah,
0: we're sorry for your loss, Shane.
1: And uh, the car—it's been supercharged. It's got 142,000 miles on it, which is amazing. I mean, he drove it. That is probably that is, the highest miles, mileage, at least I've ever heard of. It's got to be up there so far. And and he said, fortunately, they both loved the car themselves. But he was asking, what about those that that say your your father-in-law was a huge car guy, had a massive collection, but no one in the family really got it? Yeah, I mean, you have to I mean,
0: explain that part of it first.
1: Yeah. So so his all right his big thing is i mean when someone you know is maybe they have cancer or something else where you know they're about to pass away and they've got this collection Mm -hmm. what do you do with the cars if you don't if you're not a car guy do you keep them for posterity's sake do you sell them do you give them to a friend i mean what do you do
0: (laughs) i mean it, it happens and at a a not a high car collection level. I think that's yeah. that's kind of where Shane is asking, and that's where you and I can definitely you know relate and have stories. Shane is saying here, you know, the car runs great, but it needs some work and money due to normal Lotus one hundred and forty-two thousand mile issues. Right, it's got a cracked clam, non-functioning climate control, alarm issues. By the way, Shane, <laughs> apparently, what I've heard is if you take a knife to your your alarm system and just chop it out of the car completely, you're good. So yeah, that one's yeah. at least checked off. You won't be woken up in the middle of the night. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. And so he's talking about, you know, he's wondering about the, the burden that car inheritance is. And he said he and his wife were in the market for a 987 came in prior to this happening. But you know, what if they weren't sports car fans or even yeah. liked the leases? And then, you know, <laughs> what about the guilt of selling or refusing to inherit said car? Yeah. There yeah, yeah. actually is sort of this associated guilt and they're not in this position, but I I thought we could cover this briefly. And, you know, you were telling about your first car, about um, <clears throat> champagne Camrys and yeah, trying to yeah. deny it, but too late. My buddy.
1: my very first car was a 94 Camry in champagne, <laughs> you know, the, the epitome of what all Camrys are. That That is what this car was.
0: Okay, so does having that car as your first car turn you into a car person? Does that as a first experience make you go... Uh, I loved it then, never go back and don't try to go find one and drive it because you'll be severely disappointed. Yeah. But did, did that push you into the realm of, huh, there's got to be more to this than the car I've got?
1: Uh, That's, that's a tough one. Because, I mean, when, you, when it's your first car, you don't have anything to compare it to. Right. Maybe right. personal experience with a fun car your parents had or something, but you didn't get to drive those. <laughs> parents owning fun cars. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't usually get to drive those. You might get to ride around in them, but learning to drive or that being your first car, maybe take it to prom, but if you're lucky. (laughs) But no, um, so. Mine was a V6, and it had a hundred and like 188 thousand miles on it when when I got it. It just ran. And it just ran, yeah. yeah it had zero issues. I had to replace a radiator, okay. but it was solid. I took to the drag strip once. <laughs> Can't believe this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so a, a friend, a, a coworker at the time, he had he was a Mustang guy and knew I was too. Uh, he invited me and another friend to go to the drag strip with him, and I had my Camry. Did he think and he was gonna? take it like oh, oh he's he got oh a he, he knew he I come mean, on out his, to the
0: drag strip and bring your camry yeah
1: he he had a twin turbo fox body mustang so it wasn't like <laughs> a competition there at all but my my other friend he had a, a 95 v6 camaro and uh <laughs> okay. we raced each other three or four times and in the quarter mile at least with us two dr- young drivers i beat him all fo- all t- uh, every single time by at least a second or more And we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Either he was short shifting or he didn't really know how to He might not have been able to launch it right or who knows what. But (laughs) with us two driving at that time, the Camry was just it was a lot quicker. I mean what's funny is it was pretty
0: funny. That was, you know, probably his baby and he was. was. He wasn't You know, really getting after it hard, whereas owning the Camry, you're like, let's see if this thing can die. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> it's this run.
1: That's why so you were faster. He, he got so frustrated, though, that he went home that night. and went on, uh, it was MSN at the time. MSN Autos oh had all the gosh. stats back then, right? Right. Oh, my god. And uh, the Camry was like 200 pounds lighter, and it had it really? had almost 30 more horsepower than the than the Camaro. So there you go. So there you go. So
0: since the beginning, Camry has racing hair. No, it doesn't. No, no, no. Uh, There there was
1: also a road next to my house, though. Uh, I grew up in Tucson. And if you're in Tucson, you might know this road. called Roller Coaster Road. It's not very long. It's kind of through a neighborhood, but it's really windy. And uh, I I would bomb around in the Camry down that. And there's this one section. So if you know the area, you start from Oracle Road and go downhill. You don't go up it. You go downhill.
0: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. And uh, one of the early turns is it's got this drop, a bit of a, a crest, and then it drops down pretty good into a hard left. I would get two wheels off the ground on the Camry there all the time.
0: Oh, <laughs> would you go out and paint the curbs red and white, red, white, red, white? I, red, white, I think white. there's speed bumps on some I, of that I don't road. know now why don't this know. is FIA curbing in this neighborhood.
1: <laughs> I don't know where that came from. What are you talking about? So, yeah, that that was the, uh, the in-town fun road to go on. <laughs> that, that's where I learned how to drive, was driving that car Funny. down that road.
0: I'm sure people have had similar experiences, too, honestly. Well... Shane, again, I'm glad that you guys have inherited this Lotus, and hopefully you're hanging on to it. Hopefully you're enjoying it and continue to drive it. And, you know, there is a bit of guilt, I think, getting rid of, you know, anything associated with a loved one. That will remain. Car, furniture, name the thing.
1: Yeah. Just don't be – I've heard this story, and this makes me sad every time I think about it there there was this one gentleman who he he was uh on his deathbed and had a big car collection and his family wasn't in the cars hmm. but instead of waiting they just started selling him off left and right whether it was auctions while well, he was still i mean uh. he probably understood but at the same time it's like that's that's gotta that's, be hard it's
0: rough i mean you know there's always money involved and yeah you know human nature gets involved of course but My own stories are with the Expedition, and the reason I own this gigantic Burgundy Expedition is not because I would go buy it, necessarily. That's not my first choice. I don't need a car this enormous, but we bought it as a family. My dad bought it brand new in 2012. I was with him. We were all with him in Alaska when he bought it up there, and then he proceeded to drive— everywhere all over alaska in it he's had kids he's had dogs he's had firewood all kinds of stuff in it and there have been family adventures in it it's been to denali it's been to seward it's been fairbanks it's been all around he's had it shipped twice on barges down to washington there's rust in places that it shouldn't have rust because it's spent time (laughs) on you know the water and then alaska and outdoors all this stuff but I'm hanging on to it because of There's so many memories there. The connection to my dad. He's no longer able to drive it, which is why I've got it. and I said, Dad, why don't, why don't I keep it in the family? And I'll just I'll keep it for a while. It was sitting at my sister's house for a full year under pine trees, and I'm still getting pine needles out of the. <laughs> you know, oh, I, I lift up a little rubber seal and all these pine needles fall out. I'm like, oh.
1: yep, yep, I
0: know that feeling. Not saving it for the next guy, so I'm driving it. Yeah, you drive it all over the place. But I mean, we use it for a press car. We are not press car for a shoot car for a yep. shoot vehicle. But I'm I'm driving it just knowing I'm I'm connected to him. I've you know the the people and the conversations that have been in it. I, I'm always going to keep it as long as I can. If it if the engine goes, I'll drop a crate motor in it or something. I'll just right. keep it. You know, and who knows? I I want to have other cars, but on the other hand, it's big enough that it could eventually tow a trailer and yeah i think it'll run it's got one hundred and twenty thousand on it now so not terrible it's not even 10 years old yet no i mean i i think i can have it to easy 250 300,000 probably
1: yeah it's what it's maybe a 5-4 longer. right
0: 5-4 train yeah. motor i mean
1: i had a, a work truck that was a 5-4 and it had over two hundred thousand miles really? on it it was only Did three you... years old <laughs> or uh, maybe it was wow, probably a little just, older than that but it's it, it, a it, we wow. put we were putting 150 miles on it a day okay so well, i mean it was a work truck just Deli- Delivery mobile.
0: Yeah, right. Well, I, yeah, for that reason. So I I love, you know, knowing that he and I have had the conversations and and personal connections in that truck, but he had the same thing that happened with his dad. My grandfather again passed at age 102 in twenty eleven. Yeah. At that point in my life, he had been retired longer than I had been alive. <laughs> and I always, I always love telling people this that he was totally into cars. He was Cadillac man his entire existence. Yeah. He worked for Kroger and Dillon's in Kansas, and you know worked his way up from you know stock boy to vice president of marketing. Got his gold watch, the whole thing, and he had this Buick Enclave, two thousand nine that he bought. He just liked him. Yeah. And so when he passed, my dad inherited it, and we went. Honestly, we went wildcatting across the sand dunes of Kansas because he also had some land out there. And we thought, oh, maybe there's, you know, some Kansas oil out here. There was no (laughs) oil anywhere. It was just farmland. So we ended up selling land. But we were bouncing around in the deserts of Kansas (laughs) in this thing (laughs) and just having a great time. And now it's still in the family. My sister has it. She's loaded it with cellos you know she's raised her kids in it it's been a perfect car so for that reason you know it's connected her to her grandfather yeah. and and to my dad as well and so just you know kind of fun to keep those kinds of cars but conversely there is the argument to be made for you know what we we can't fit this into our life why would we keep it I, we should probably sell it and and having the money would actually do us do our family better than yeah. keeping this as a, a yep. burden kind of thing, and you know only you can make the decision to sort through your thoughts and feelings, and you know can we get rid of this? But yes, you know that person that loved one's still in your heart, of course. But yeah, you know with cars it's such an attachment because a we're already attached to the car itself. It might have been the car that we've always wanted. Right. Suddenly you inherit it, but now you the what? one can you afford to keep it even? exactly can you're you paying afford the for
1: registration and insurance on it for you exactly
0: right I tires mean, fuel all that yeah. stuff i'm glad the Elise is at a level where all that stuff is not blindingly expensive and you didn't inherit a collection but it happens it and does it's it's rough and you've got to sort through it but i i find it interesting that you know shane this is happening to you i think a lot of a lot of people listening are, can relate at some level you know whether it's you know, first car and you you know hand me down from a family member all the way to you know something in the future. It, it's a it's an issue for yeah. sure. Yep. Yeah. Shane, thank you so much for writing. And we've got a debate from David S. after the break. If you've got your own debate, write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com or you can find us on the website, everydaydriver.com, while you're perusing all the information about the twenty nineteen pilgrimage trip that we <laughs> really, honestly, we want you to go on. And there is a question somebody has asked. Should you upgrade the next trim package of a car or save the money and go on the pilgrimage trip? Your thoughts? If somebody's on the fence about buying a car, and it's in this case, it was a Cayman S, or I think it was a Boxster S versus Boxster GTS,
1: hmm. Hmm.
0: would you spend the money on the trip or Duh, upgrade the car to the next trim that, level?
1: That's a really hard question, man. I'm. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> That's the question you were talking about earlier. Uh-huh. I gotcha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it would be really hard to make that decision. And knowing myself, I'd probably do the GTS just because it's. Really? I'm, I'm a millennial and I've kind of fallen to that uh, uh, here and now kind of situation from time to time. My wife was probably shaking her head as she's listening to okay. this. But okay. But uh yeah, if if you're planning on doing the pilgrimage trip and that's your way to do it, then I'd say I'd say do that. Well here's I'm gonna make the case
0: for the opposite. And that is the experience and the skill that you will take away that will translate to any future car. Yeah, yeah. That's my thinking, and that's I, oh, I I totally agree I speak for me. I, I totally
1: agree with that. But knowing the way my personality is, <laughs> I would probably do the opposite. Not okay. thinking
0: ahead far enough. Sure, uh, I, I'm making the case for coming on the pilgrimage trip because, again, you'll you'll come back to a car and probably be able to extract, I dare say, extract more out of it. Oh yeah, having better skills and having more awareness and and being around people who think track driving and the instructors and just generally the people that you'll meet being there.
1: I'm making the case for the pilgrimage trip. We want you and to go. You know, I think RSR has Boxsters or Caymans, don't they? Oh, they do. Yeah. You, can, have you, a can, you can get list. some really good uh, seat time in your own car, yes. so to speak.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. And you bring up another one and that is the list of cars you can choose from. We're not saying, hey, everybody, come to Germany and drive a McLaren on the ring.
1: We're putting... <laughs> It'd be I'd rather, kind of terrifying your first car on the ring.
0: Honestly, I'd rather you be in a riding lawnmower around the track than a super fast car. So that's why we start you at a base level. You can upgrade if you like. If you already have track experience and you, you feel like you want something different for a different experience, yeah. please let us know. We can definitely work with RSR, but those cars have to get locked in before you're even there. Because they're reserved, you can't just upgrade unless it's available, which it probably won't be. Right, The day of, you can't just say, oh, well, you've got a fleet because people are going to lock them down. Yeah. So I would say if you know there's something that you're interested in, but that's why we have a base level, and that is the 265 McGann and the 240i BMW. Those are our kind of base cars. People have gone up a little bit from there, but I'd rather extract a lot from the slower car on these tracks because the amount of information coming at you is... Staggering, we'll say. It's yeah. astounding. Yeah,
1: yeah, especially in a new track in a new car. Yeah. You don't want to be that overwhelmed to where you're completely freaked out and, <laughs> exactly. and just in over your head. Exactly. So
0: consider all that stuff. Go on the website. Please feel free to email us if you've got questions, if you've got more stuff that you, you know, don't see answered on the website and uh, you're cordially invited. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. We're often asked how we find the cars we recommend because we do a lot of research for the show. Local or nationwide, our searches start with our friends at Auto Tempest. Instead of searching each car site separately, you can enter your parameters into AutoTempest one time and search them all at once. You can see results from Cars.com, Cars Direct, eBay, and more. Or you can jump to AutoTrader and CarGurus without entering anything new. You can even search all of Craigslist nationwide. You know how hard it is to search Craigslist all at once? You can with Auto Tempest. Auto Tempest can help you find your next new or used car if there's a dozen in your neighborhood or two in the entire country. Plus, the folks at Auto Tempest actually do listen to this very podcast right along with you, and they're always looking for ways to refine the site to make it better. They already have research tools, buyer and seller guides, and are listening to what features users want. So if we give you drive homework or you're chasing your dream car or you're just looking to feed the disease, AutoTempest.com is the place to start. Heck, I was honored an hour ago. David S is writing to us because he's been bitten by the car enthusiast bug. Later in life, he said, when he was already forty, married, three kids, he went out and bought a twenty thirteen BRZ, which is is not the year you had. That is the year I had, the exact year, exact manual year. transmission, everything, in white. Yeah, he bought this car, signed up for track days and autocross. Until he realized that even with familiarity, he was more nervous than exhilarated by speed. So essentially, he's saying he'd rather be extracting and wringing more of the car out at slower speeds than having yeah. and aspiring to a fast car. Now, for the past two years, he hasn't raced the BRZ, but kept it as a summer daily using his faithful 14-year-old Volvo S40 for winter duty. But then things changed because his Volvo was totaled in a T-bone accident. Yeah. And he found out even with winter tires, he wasn't really comfortable with the BRZ in snow. Although you and Todd, when you had your BRZ FRSs, this is what you did all the time. You were bombing around. Solid. Yeah,
1: okay. now I can also see the other side of that coin. Though we're we're both pretty experienced drivers, and and it kind
0: of—I mean, you do kind of crave speed. I, yeah, I mean, you do. Have and I—I
1: I was purposefully sliding affliction. the car around, whereas most people don't want that in the snow. <laughs> like so, most <laughs> people look for traction. They're trying to avoid traction. Yeah, I'm like traction control off. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> All right, so his
0: kids are getting bigger, and now he needs something with four doors and front wheel drive. Doesn't plan to do any more autocross or track days, but he is still spoiled by the BRZ handling.
1: Do you miss the BRZ handling, by the way? The handling, yes. I mean that car was just—it was so balanced and so much fun in the canyon, and so easy to just chuck around. I mean, I remember Todd's car when I was driving his car, and it had the
0: the Pilot Super Sports on it with the seventeens. Mm-hmm. It was. Brilliant.
1: Yeah, I didn't have Super Sports on mine. I had the uh, they were Continentals. You
0: liked those, didn't you?
1: They were okay. They they weren't Super Sports, but they were a good alternative. Okay, all right. Uh, They're both tires have new versions of them now. But
0: yeah, right. Whatever. Yeah, new versions. So he's missing the handling, and he's finding now because of that that including the BMW 3 Series, nothing's doing it for him. That the the sharp qualities aren't there, and so he says, "I don't drive fast. What do we advise?" And even in BRZ, he averaged 31 miles a gallon combined, which is
1: really impressive. That's what I was getting.
0: Was it really? Yeah. Even standing on it like you guys oh, yeah. both did all the time? Because you drove yeah, at I the mean, upper end of your rev.
1: The, the difference range. between mine and Todd's, though, was Todd's commute at the time was he was going through a canyon every day. Right. And was I was downhill I, was, half I the way. was on, yeah, but uphill the rest of the way. Uphill, yeah, coming Whereas home. Whereas mine was
0: pretty much flat. Yeah, true. All right. So his needs are commuting 25,000 miles a year. He's having to drive kids in the back. So, he would like front wheel drive. Winter tires get good grip. He doesn't see the advantage of all wheel drive. As he says, front wheel drive cars have always had more than enough grip with winter tires. I mean, it's true. Yeah, it's true. They, they're great. And uh, he doesn't like the high horsepower thing that I mentioned. So, slow car, fast, fuel economy, reliability. Yep. And he, he doesn't do any of his own maintenance. So, it's got to be reliable. So, then there's a twist to this whole story.
1: Yeah. He, uh, so, he likes to keep his cars for 10 to 15 years, buys them new. He said he had a a bad experience with a used car once, and that was enough for him, so (laughs) that's that's fair enough. It's not uh, all
0: used cars across the board, David. I mean, there are good buys, and people are plenty happy with used cars. Right, but what's
1: funny is this next part. He said he's been searching for one of these for years, and he finally found a completely rust-free 1993 Toyota pickup SR5 four-wheel drive. It took took him two years to find one, and now that's his garage queen. He said it
0: was owned by a single owner in the Nevada desert. Yeah. I Did he bounce around and the and desert so, in this thing?
1: So he's kicked the BRZ out, and the truck's taken the spot in the garage. <laughs> Which All right, All that's, right. That's, that's cool. I mean, um, but the, my BRZ, I kept it outside. That's, yeah, you that's did. That's what I did. You did. So it I beat on a little if, bit. Uh, yeah, not so much. But did you have I, a cover for that, by the way? No, I did not. You did not? I did not. Okay. I mean, I knew it had some clear paint protection it had, it film had clear and, bra on it and yeah. I mean it got dirty a lot it was dirty more often than clean well, yeah and <laughs> so the white that. didn't help but anyways um, he's looking for a new four or five door front wheel drive 31 plus miles to the gallon manual transmission mm. reliable sharp steering low powered car <laughs> welcome to the podcast david welcome to <laughs> what everybody is looking for yes. right
0: we're all looking for this so he's saying what do we recommend and I've got a list here I I um Hm, I, I kinda went on this tangent that I'm not gonna recommend, but I'm going to lament, I will say. Okay. And it comes from BMW because what I want for you, David, is a one series. Okay. I want a every time we see them in Europe, I think, why is this not in America? Why is this not in North America generally speaking? The five door The current one. The current one. Well, they even make a three door hatch. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's two door hatch. They're rear wheel drive park? though. Rear-wheel drive, yes, but that is what we're looking for. The size, the shape, it's this little shooting brake thing, and I know you don't like shooting brakes. You don't.
1: Me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm hit or miss with them. Okay,
0: but the five-door with the hatch, I think they're awesome. Rear-wheel drive, manual, the power is fine because you can just, you know, great handling, extract every, all the goodness out of this thing, and they remain in Europe.
1: And you can't get them here, and yeah.
0: (sighs) Yeah. So the closest thing, and, and I'm going to get hate mail for this, I, I looked, I actually went to BMW USA and I looked at the 3 Series GT, th-
1: just, just wondering if that could be something. Okay. I, 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 I just, thought maybe X1. Did you? I thought maybe X1. Could the fit X3 the bill.
0: was actually surprisingly good on track, despite it being a larger, heavier, taller SUV.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is, though, he said he didn't like the 3 Series
0: yeah that's that's why I just explored david. I just looked I just browsed around. I'm not recommending anything but the Fair. the three series g t we need a smaller version of that. I would say that the styling of the three series g t Gran Turismo is more successful on the smaller car. I didn't like it on the five. It's more successful as a smaller hatch in those yeah, proportions, yes, but then if we only had the one series, it'd be perfect, but we don't so I'll leave that there and say okay. The obvious thing, which is probably on your list, too, is the new Mazda 3 hatch.
1: Yep, that's on my list. Edgar had one in a stick. He did. You're and, right. Yep. He he still has it, I think. He's still bombing around in that thing. I need to ask him.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that's on both of our lists. And the new one, actually, David, is a shoulderless design. Mazda has worked really hard on making some different shapes. It's not yeah. apparent at first to the eye. And I will say... We have seen it in person at the LA Auto Show, and I
1: like it better in person. It looks really than good in photos.
0: person. Do not look at the photos and, the, and
1: Yeah, gang. the so he's talking about the uh, the rear quarter panel, the the C pillar, <laughs> the, In the three quarters. It's shot. just like, Whoa, what is that? <laughs> the, the but you see it, it in person feeling. and it makes so much more yeah. sense. And it's just yeah. like, okay, yeah, I see that. And it it's a good it's a really good looking car. Just hold it in reserve and
0: the Mazda 3 fits in this category of many. I mean, you come from a photo background, mm-hmm. and trying to get the correct depth of field to show something that is that is what you see and what you feel about the car. I mean, many automotive photographers do this, yeah. but it's it's very much the difference between seeing it in person, and seeing it in the photograph. But oh, then yeah, and how so... do I make you feel by that depth of field? Is it telephoto? Is it you know? A, a, yeah, that's the heart. That's the thing. angle. There's so
1: many angles on cars these days. So many details and three-dimensional features that. You almost can't get that on, on camera because it's flat image. Things like right, like right. you look at taillights on most cars now. And in pictures, like, you think it's just a thing of glass, like a clear lens over a, a thing. Mm-hmm. But no, it's got all these cutouts and shapes. And then you're like, wow, that's actually really cool. Yeah, but exactly. But you can't really pick that up on camera. It's very difficult.
0: I think you've got to take a close look at the Mazda 3. It fits every one of these categories. And I like the sedan a lot, too, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Mazda's killing it. The washouts coming down the A-pillar, look at the washout into the hood line and then the hood line coming up where they don't meet that intersection. The corners and intersections of cars are very difficult to do because you have four or five surfaces ending. And how designers resolve those surfaces is what we look at, even though you think you see the overall shape. But look at this car very closely and I think you'll like it. But I am going to make the case for another one. I want to hear what else is on your list though.
1: Yeah, so I had three others. Um, one of them I don't think you can get brand new anymore, and it's it seems like the way to go, to be honest. But you'd have to get one a year or two old. And that's the Fiesta ST. Yes, it's it, there. You,
0: you
1: you can't get the brand new ones here, unfortunately. But they're cheap and they're reliable. You've got that chuckable feeling. You've got five doors.
0: What's not to like? By the way, you haven't heard a budget from David because he did not include it, but you can kind of get the sense we're dealing with new to used BRZ prices somewhere yeah, in the mid 20s thir- to f- 30
1: 35 at most okay, maybe at
0: most all right all right fair enough keep going
1: so i had that um i also had a golf gti you can get those in 5 door and manual steering's not nearly as sharp as a brz but they're still yeah. fun great cruisers you're going to be commuting at it anyways sure and sure they're, they're not overly powerful what about a golf r i thought about one but they're also 40 grand new the one that we shot yeah. was forty grand new. Yeah, and I mean, there's hundred horsepower, which is completely usable. But he says he wants low power, so I mean, Golf R or, hard, many, or the power. GTI makes more sense.
0: I mean, more is better, right? And I more was better.
1: It, I mean, it's all wheel drive too. So <laughs> it's <all-wheel> drive, exactly. <laughs> so it, it it checks all the wrong boxes. Okay. In this case, and then the the last option I had, we haven't driven one yet, but we're driving one soon. Uh, the Veloster Turbo. I didn't. I didn't do the N, just the turbo for the sake of oh, lower really? power.
0: Really? Okay. I did. What made you uh, decide on the difference?
1: Um, mostly the the power difference. The okay. turbo okay. is just 201 horsepower. Just. Uh, I don't. I didn't look up what the N is. I forget what those are. Right it's now, it's 276 somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah. So. It's a so it's it's probably more more up his alley. But again, Hyundai is also not the best on steering feel. But they're also really nice cars. They're not what they used to be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Honda and Kia, not what we used to be. Come down to a showroom, please. Yeah, I mean, you still hear, they, they still
1: carry that weight around it's with true. them. It's true. People and wrinkle their noses.
0: At, I, I made a suggestion of a stinger to my attorney, and he sort of wrinkled his nose. And Craig, if you're listening, yes, it, I, I found it comical. <laughs> I found it comical. But, uh, yeah, you're right. There is that perception still. But, you know, that's coming back to the nature of the entire show, and that is driving the car without... Acknowledging the badge on the hood and driving yeah. it for what it is first, yeah, yeah. then okay, oh, oh, it's a Kia, oh, it's a BMW, great, whatever. But you know, finding those qualities first and basing your decision on that rather than you know, many people want the want the badge, they do, yep. and
1: and look at how many people we talk to nowadays wonderful. that are disappointed with the new BMWs.
0: I'm interested in that. We're about to drive the new three so. series as well, and we're going to go give that a shakedown proper yeah. proper drive. So. It's funny you had the the turbo on there because I do want to make a case for the Veloster N because of uh not not power, there's still only 29,000 is where they start. And I think the upgraded components are going to be what you will they'll appeal to you, David. I think they will uh they'll be something you like. And I want you to feel what we're lamenting from Mazda, Mazda speed, no longer existing yeah, and Hyundai sliding right in with, Hey, our new performance division. And then saying, look, I, I like it for all the upgraded components for, you know, power is great, but you don't have to dip into the turbo no quite so far each time. I-
1: my just, my only argument against it was because he said he. I mean, if the BRZ was too fast for him, you're right in a, in a sense. You're this, right. This is going to be even more. That that's my my thinking very much there. so. I mean, I I will admit that styling affects my choice too. And the the end does look good. I I it think does they've look done it. Ah, great job, cracking job
0: designing this car and in reintroducing driving fun to enthusiasts. And so, as you said, we are going to put one on camera very soon. It is the Veloster N, so that'll be for nope. television season five, which is what we're currently in the midst of shooting. But, I, I mean, there's a lot of hatchback stuff that we could go down i I just i think you need to take a look at hyundai because of reliability warranty and because of what they're doing with the end division this is the first one we get in north america this is the first iteration there's more to come in europe of course
1: and you know now that i think about it i mean the brz is when you're driving it hard it's it's a fun car but it's fun because it's so slidey and just kind of all over the place and that could be part of why he didn't like it Whereas okay, something that's enough. front wheel drive when you're driving it hard, it's not so much that. They're usually
0: pretty stable. Hyundai is claiming twenty eight miles to the gallon highway, so I bet you could nearly get there. Two hundred fifty horsepower, two liter, four cylinder, which, you know, that's it's a lot more power than you're used to. Yeah. I I still think that's kind of the sweet spot personally. But okay. Something to consider. I I think it's interesting. We both kind of went there because of all the the hatchback choices we could have chosen. You know, Civic SIs of the world, and you know a lot yeah. of other stuff. I think it's compelling. And yeah,
1: I mean a Civic cool. a Civic's gonna be it's just gonna work. I mean the one that we drove, sure. we all loved that Civic Sport we drove. As far as you know, the niceties in it. It was granted, it was a base base. Not much trim packaging at all in that car that we had. (laughs) Super base. But it
0: was a fun car to drive. The Veloster N gives you rev matching. That's the reason to buy, right? Sure. I have to wear my sales guy hat just for a little bit, David. Mm -hmm. Please let us know what you've bought. And uh, if anybody else has, uh, you know, we've debated cars for you and you'd like to write to us, please include the podcast number. So we can make an announcement of uh, cars you bought and then reference what we recommended versus what you ended up getting. If it matches, great. If it doesn't, that's kind of cool, too.
1: Or Yeah, even why you think our our answers are stupid. I mean, (laughs) sometimes we get it wrong.
0: You guys were wrong because of this, this, and this reason, and something else appealed to me. Yeah, that's great. great. Please. We love that for sure. All right. Well, we've got to jump to questions, and I think there was one directed squarely at you.
1: Yeah, um, it's kind of funny because we didn't announced that I was going to be on the on the podcast no. this week. And uh, one of the questions from uh, Michael, um, he was asking about updates on my 911. <laughs> You've been doing a lot, as a I've, matter of fact. I just cleared 160,000 miles on it yesterday. Really? Good I've 13,000 miles on it since July. That's I've, I've been, average. I've been driving it a lot. Yes, and enough. now that it's summer, I'm probably going to...
0: You're going to be driving it I'm gonna more. I'm going to be
1: driving the Mustang a bit, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Try and keep that that in check but uh you kind of hinted at it earlier um if you guys remember back in the winter when todd curbed his wheel on the lancer Mm -hmm. the same day probably within the same hour even i curbed a wheel on the (laughs) 911 both you guys texted me and said paul stay home yeah
0: yeah wherever you're at stay home
1: and i i curbed mine bad enough that i destroyed the wheel i went around a roundabout that was unplowed and the back end was a 911 and swung around it's right into the curb. Thing. And uh, now these
0: were not your bronze good summer no, rims. No, no, These, these, were, were, the these rims were my and
1: tires. my junky winter wheels. Okay. And I I ordered a new wheel, same style of wheel. They're, they're the the base 997 wheels. If you're interested, um, went to go have the new wheel put on after getting the car aligned. Mm. And uh, no, I got the car aligned after the wheel got put on. Um, I went to the tire shop and they're like, yeah, we can't mount this tire to this wheel. Why can't you? Did you see the date code on the tire? That says it's 12 years old. Oh. So my my winter tires I bought used, I, I didn't think to look at date codes because I mean, who does that? Some people do, but I didn't I didn't think I to mean, do that. You kind of have to know. <laughs> I probably should have. Looking back, I definitely should have. Sure. But I, I found one of those like, you know, questionable tire shops and they, they, swapped the tire no problem no questions asked questionable tire shots <laughs> done thank you and then got the alignment done and then i've been chasing warning lights ever since
0: didn't you say you replaced the regulator the window regulator yep already? i replaced the window
1: regulator uh last weekend the passenger side the little pulley inside of it was all cracked and the cable was no longer on it so the window you kind of had to help it up sure um, pull it up a little bit I replaced a math sensor recently because of the warning lights I was getting. I had a check engine light. One thing begets another, yes. essentially. Yes. Now, you're all going to say, well, you, you're the idiot that bought a high miles <laughs> cheap 911. Yes, I am. That. Yes, I am. But <laughs> there,
0: there is that. At least you so, acknowledged it.
1: So the, I got a check engine light, and it was for um, – it took a while to figure this one out, too. It was a combination of the math sensor bad O2 sensor and the cats were the three possibilities. Mm-hmm. Number one was the math sensor. So re- I got a new math sensor. Two days later, the map sensor blew. And it was worse than what the old one was. <laughs> oh so I replaced gosh. that again. That was fine. But I was still getting um, these other two lights. The, the PSM, which is Porsche Stability Management, their traction control, and the ABS lights were coming on mm-hmm. intermittently. But Now it's every time I drive the car. So the number one fix for that happens to be the math sensor. So I th- was hoping that would be the fix, and it wasn't. Hmm. Uh, my engine no longer has the, the math idle issues, um, but uh, now when I'm driving around, I get so far and both both the stability and ABS systems shut off. Oh. And it took me forever to track down what this is. I finally... Uh, it's kind of a sad story, really. I was up late one night, bored, and I was reading a <laughs> as one does as one does. I was reading right. a press release for the nine nine six when it first came out. That's how <laughs> late at night and bored I was, and it was, <laughs> okay. it was it was it was describing how the PSM system works. Okay, and it started listing all the sensors. It was the the um, the wheel speed sensors. It used the math sensor. It used the steering sensor, and all these other things. And then I got to the steering sensor. It's like, wait, 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 wait. When I had my alignment done, they didn't... The wheel the steering wheel was not on straight. So I went back immediately, had them correct it, and they still didn't get it on quite straight. But I had to get to work. So I was like, all right, forget it. I'm going to work. I'll deal with it later. And ever since then is when I started having this issue. Hmm. I finally took it into our, our tech, uh, Bob, who you guys have used too. Yeah, right, right. And he plugged in his thing. He's like, yep, it's the steering sensor. So there's one of two things that happened either when they did the alignment, they pulled the steering wheel off and didn't put it back on straight or they didn't have the wheel on straight when they aligned the car. Yes. So either way, I've got to go take it in and I haven't done it yet, but I, I I got to go get it realigned. I just, I like that you're doing stuff to your car.
0: And even though it's a 911, kind of in a different category from your Mustang restoration, I like that you're doing stuff to it. And if, any 911 that deserves to live, despite
1: the high mileage, it's this one. It's the chroma yeah. flare paint alone. Yeah, it's it's a millennium edition, so it's it's, it's a cool. Car. It's a unique paint color. It's uh, there's only 911 of them in the world. Really, where'd they get that number from? I I, I don't know. I think out of thin air. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and now uh, I think a what my left front wheel bearing starting to go.
0: Awesome. So, so it's
1: just. <laughs> they're they're piling on, but everything that's piling on are normal wear and tear items. Sure. Nothing's been catastrophic except for my one mishap, which was my doing, and that's well, what's led to all these other things. Yeah. So I can point that back to my mistake in the snow. But so far, mechanically it's been pretty much great, other than you know, these little things. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs>
0: Unless you don't count all these other little things pulling out. Oh, me. I
1: should I should tell you the math sensor. Uh, I texted you guys about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to work for the, one of the local Porsche dealers, and I was there a year and a half, maybe. Yeah, I wasn't there all that long, but yes. I was there long enough that that uh, they still I'm still friends with some of the, the employees there that have remained there. Sure, sure. And uh, especially in their parts department because that's where I worked. Um, so whenever I've needed parts, I've always I've usually give them a call and see what they can. What they can give me because they they'll still give me employee rates even though it's been eight years since I've worked there, which is nice, which You're is great in business though. So I called them up for this math sensor, and the guy's like, "Yeah, those are eight hundred bucks. I can I can drop <sighs> it down to five hundred for employee pricing." I'm like, "Wow, I'm saving three hundred bucks on employee pricing, but still five hundred dollars." Wow. Meanwhile, the the OEM supplier is Bosch. They're mm-hmm. a big brand. You can go find them anywhere. Sure. So I found a Bosch sensor. Bosch sells them on Amazon for $150. God, the markup is so... (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I I bought the $150 one. That's the one that failed after two days, and I warranty exchanged it with a new one. They sent me a new one free of charge. They even sent me a a shipping label to send it back. So it's been fine, though.
0: So it's been fine ever since. So you probably had a little anomaly. I probably
1: probably got a bad one out of the box. All right. Fair enough.
0: I just, yeah, like I said, I like that you're just little things. You're just keeping it alive, driving it.
1: It's good. My window regulator was cheaper through the dealer than it was through these aftermarket places. So it's kind of funny where...
0: It depends on the thing. Yeah. All right. right. Well, there's two of you who have noticed my um, proclivities, my preference for various, uh, various words and using them properly in sentences. And so I must applaud you. Bumbry on Twitter says, besides Mjolnir, what would you consider a chuckable hammer? Mjolnir is the hammer... That belonging to the Norse god Thor, the god of thunder. And mm, yeah, yeah. he says he can only think of supercars as tossable and powerful, but am I missing an everyday car? It is the GLA AMG 45. That is a chuckable hammer, if there is okay. ever was one. And it also relates to the 80s when AMG I was independent and they called one of their first cars the AMG Hammer. Did they call it the Hammer? I thought it was a journalist and it kind of stuck. You know, that's a good question. I don't know where it exactly came from, but they were known They, for they did call it the, the Hammer. Hammer. That
1: was the name of the the yes. name everyone called it. So,
0: excellent question. And then Ronald Harrison on Twitter says, "Am I just being a chromogen saying that I do not like black rims on cars? A chromogen is a substance without color." And so, no, I, I don't love black rims. What I do like, though, are titanium, charcoal. I like a little bit of spice involved with the, with the rim. I do like the some of the darker colors, but straight black. And to be honest, Porsche is guilty of this. They're putting gloss black and straight-up black yep. rims on some of the cars, and I don't like them.
1: Now, I do have to say, the BRZ I had was white with black wheels on it. Yes, I know. I know. That's what I did to it. Still not a fan. (laughs) (laughs) And that that leads me to David Best's question. Do your feelings on white cars extend to all types of white? I have an 86 in Halo, which is probably the same (laughs) pearl that mine was, just a different name. And I wouldn't have chosen any other color, which is what I did too. That was my number one color for the car. Lack of color. And I found it remarkable that the amount of depth and personality it has in differing natural light. I'm kind of with you. The pearl colors are so much more interesting than straight white. Admittedly, they're special. Pearls are special. And I, I will also admit that me personally, I do like the stormtrooper look. I know you don't. But What's a stormtrooper? Yeah, so you don't even know what that is. <laughs>
0: I pretend more than I actually know. Or I actually know more than I let on.
1: Yeah, uh, True. Right. True. true. By the way, I have to compliment
0: you all for the excellent questions. We're getting to as many as we can. So a well-thought-out question deserves a well-thought-out answer. Ian Ricks on Facebook. What is your favorite manufacturer vehicle name ever, and what's your least? I thought about this. I thought about this. For, for the day, I've thought about this. <laughs> that is I a have, very you question. I have three that are my favorites. Okay. And surprisingly, not one of them is Porsche. My favorite vehicle manufacturer names ever are, first off, Isara Fraschini. Isara just It just rolls off the tongue. You say it with heart. The second one is one. Hispano-Suiza.
1: Yeah, that's a, I like that one, too. And
0: then Duesenberg. I mean, come on. Duesenberg. That just drips with elegance and class. Duesenberg. What about Delage? Delage is Delage up there. Delage is a good French coachwork. Delage is up there. And my least favorite. You're going to laugh, Ian. Trabant. <laughs> Yuck. Do you realize, by the way, that the, the bodywork is made with resin-coated paper mache? Do do you understand? It's called what? It's called duroplast. Before they made steel bodies, they actually the engineers figured out they, they didn't have the resources. And I'm not slagging on Trabant's as the engineering uh triumph that they are <laughs> in the face of lack of resources. I just don't like the name Trabant. It just no. Not doing it for me. Well. Anyway, a lot of interesting. There's even a Trabant USA Car Club. No, are we lots talking, talking
1: manufacturing names or model names? Just the manufacturing. Okay, name. okay. So I mean, so I, you you I could, could think of some, you
0: know, Quattroporte. Yes. I mean, what? By the way, that does lead me to a list that I'm currently curating that are all the cars named after space and space things. I'll I'll give you an example. I I don't know where this came from, but I just I wanted to prove the point of naming something after space just no good. Did not keep Saturn being at the top of the list, of course. But you remember the Ford Scorpio Mm. and the, well, we've got the Opel Astra and... What else on my list? Buick Apollo is on my list. VW used Apollo name. Ford Taurus. Taurus, like, kind of Chevy Spacey. Nova, Chevy Vega, Chevy Astrovan. I've, I've got a long list of space <laughs> that actually led me to space things like Orbit Gum and, you know, Quasar <laughs> TVs from way back in the day. And you all have a strange
1: stuff. mind, my friend. I, I'm just making this
0: list just in case anybody says all the the, the cars named after space I can
1: pull this one out. So if you've got a good list, I'm curious to know. Uh so Hayden Hughes asked the question, if you track drive your cars track or drive your cars hard, or just hate spending money, you hate staggering uh factory wheels or tires. Uh he's basically asking why do certain companies stagger the wheels and tire packages? Like have skinnier tires up front and fat ones in the rear. Sure. Although that can differ. It can RS3. differ. Yes, the RS three is the other way around. Yes. The the big reason for it is weight where the weight of the car is and mm-hmm. where the main bit of traction that the car is trying to put down is so you know take mustangs or muscle cars in general for example they usually have really wide fat tires in the back and not so wide in the front same with porsches and even mid-engine cars but when you take the front engine cars and front wheel drive cars they're usually a squared stance sometimes wider in the front like the RS3. Mm-hmm, A lot mm-hmm. of it's, there, it's because of weight management and how you're getting traction to the car.
0: Yeah, fair enough. All right, uh, question over here. Thomas Hall 10 asks, which car manufacturer has the best configurator? Yeah, it, I saw this it one. It kind of led from our, our Configurator Derby the other day, yeah. which, by the way, thank you for your response. And it comes from wanting to to keep things fresh and interesting, and we have received a lot of feedback. Thank you all who have given us that feedback. We, we do know it will not reappear anytime soon, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, but we do know how yeah. we want to steer things in the future for, for future reference. So it. All these things that we've that are now established things as part of the show, we had to try.
1: Yeah, you don't know if you don't try, right? And we
0: just we put it out there and we we refined it and now it's to the place where it now is a thing. Pilgrimage trip is a perfect example. We created a film and had no idea people wanted to go on the trip with yeah, us. So right. Things like that. But back to the uh, the question from Thomas here. Best configurator, and I promise I'm throwing out the brand and the the level of car. Okay, so okay. The, the cost of the car. So Aston Martin's got a great one.
1: Porsche's, Porsche's is really good. McLaren is excellent, as is Ferrari. McLaren's is, I don't know. I think there's this is kind of clunky. I, I've played with it, and it's not very intuitive. It's Aston very in-depth. It it's, it's very in-depth. That, that's a good point. But,
0: Thomas, my favorite, actually, is Skoda. Because you can oh, okay. spin the car completely around. They're they're pre-rendered, essentially pre-rimaged. It rendered camera images, camera locations, eye levels. But Scout is actually pretty fun. So one, I challenge you. Go there.
1: One of my favorites, I don't think they, it's up anymore, but it was for the, the Bugatti Veyron. They had S- also fun. Yes. so many color combinations yeah, and options <laughs> and things you can do.
0: Was, <laughs> yes. You got lost real quick. I mean, Ferrari's got a lot of creative colors. You, you think you've seen all the colors and color names. Bugatti Put- was pretty much, here's a
1: color wheel. Where do you yeah. want the dropper?
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, they, I mean, when you're buying a high-ticket item like that, you want
1: We used to, with, with so. a, a friend of mine, we used to, um, how can you make the ugliest Bugatti? <laughs> What's the it's ugliest like a, trim the, you the can contest, do? The contest, of course. That yeah.
0: yeah. probably wasn't too hard, was it?
1: No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, what are the questions you find here? Uh, there's a track Daily Crush from a different Hayden. Um, muscle cars you got the new mustang gt performance pack one or two new camaro ss1 le or the c6 z06 Mm. Mm. what do you got uh all right you go all right mine mine will probably surprise you a little bit okay so i would track the ss1 le
0: okay i would
1: daily the z06 and i would crush the mustang Excuse me? Yeah. That's what? It. I said it. I would crush the Mustang in this case.
0: I'm shocked.
1: Over I here. know. I told you you'd be surprised.
0: That's actually not a bad choice because you're you're extracting a lot out of the 1LE package, which is actually a track package. Yep. The Z06 is a monster on the street, though. Yeah. It's, it's a monster everywhere. You're just... Yeah, <laughs> you that's makes your it toe fun. and it adds 40 <laughs> miles per hour. You just... Oops. Sorry, officer. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. All right, I'll leave that there. I've got two left for me before we have to wrap things up. Driver Mod said, congratulations, Paul. Nissan has given you cart blanche to redesign the very tired 370Z. I agree. Yeah. What design elements are you keeping? What are you tossing out? What would you introduce to revive the model? I would certainly introduce turbocharging, and I would keep probably the wheelbase and the window outline. That is a signature of the car, that, that glass outline along the roof, the the roof outline there, yeah, dropping yep, all the way back. Yep. That's very much a signature of that car. I would get rid of the fussy headlights and taillights. I would really smooth a lot of things out with a strong theme along the side, somewhere along the shoulder. And then, yeah. you know, it's trite to say, but kind of letting the car design itself from a, a historical standpoint. There's so much to lean on that are clean, simple surfaces. Yeah. But really lightweight. I would really make that their enthusiast driver's car that is accessible because they've got the GTR. They've got the Supra. They've got... No, sorry. That's Toyota. They've got... They've just got so many things yep. you know, that are not that lightweight driver's car. And I, I would just... I'd make it as simple, stripped down as I possibly could, but... You know,
1: it's a shame they didn't make the IDX concept. You remember that? Yeah, the Roman numerals for five, ten, and it kind of looked like a modern Datsun 510. I actually saw
0: that in their San Diego design studio, and I just drooled over that. It was a cool car. They use speakers actually for the uh, external rearview mirrors just on the concept, just because of the look of it. It was actually a you know three and a half inch speaker or whatever. That's funny, interesting. But yeah, I'd, I'd introduce nice materials, carbon fiber, you know, some some different things, and keep it simple and clean.
1: So uh, this, this one's kind of, I'm going to call you out on this, Paul. Ed Hayes is asking if you ever name your cars. I named my Jeep in high school, and it's
0: not repeatable on the air.
1: Well, you've also named kind of named your your Cayman. I did? You, you call it Baby all the time. You always refer to it as Baby. I do? Oh, yeah. You just refer to it as Baby. I took Baby out for a drive today. Uh, I guess I do. You do that a lot. And then the, uh, the Expedition you call Hauler that is the license plate on the expedition I mean it hauls everything true.
0: people, gear, all of our gear for shoots pretty much
1: I personally do not name my cars I guess I
0: haven't, I claimed not alright Chloe the is from Instagram asked us last time a life question, is it reasonable to sell a fun car that you've got set up modified to your taste, your liking and start saving for a home to purchase she's asking financial planning questions and then buy a cheap, reliable, less expensive, fun car in the meantime, like an NA or NB Miata, or do you put off buying a home longer while you save less money because of the car you love or the car maintenance or the yeah. vehicle you really want? This is going to be different for everybody, Chloe. I, I <laughs> It's it's a hard question to answer. I mean, honestly, people make money in real estate. That's That's where you make money. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to... Set the th- the car you love if you've owned it for a while and you can bring yourself to sell it and say, you know what, I'm going to make do and I'm going to shoot for the house. I I say it's not a bad thing. home
1: ownership is not yeah. a bad thing. It's a better investment, to be honest. It is.
0: I hate to say it. I, I mean, it's contrary to what, you know, the show might preach. But yeah. You know the, what you I know. mean? And, uh, you know, should you be able to get into a house and then be able to add another fun car in your life eventually? I think that's. That's more of the order I'd go in rather than say, no, just live in an apartment or a tent for the rest of your life and own the awesome car that you want. (laughs) Live in the car. I cannot make that justification. I can't.
1: Uh, I I had one more from uh, Chad Merrick. Um, He said he was driving a rental car when suddenly it felt like I lost half the lug nuts on the front wheels. Oh, yeah. Started breathing again and realized it was the first feedback of any kind I had had through the steering wheel and it was the lane departure warning system. (laughs) (laughs) So his question is, who is doing driver aids well without distracting the drivers from their task at hand or giving them a heart attack?
0: Uh,
1: I've been saying this for a long time. Define well. Yeah, I've been saying this for a long time. And we we actually, every time we get in cars, we always turn off the lane departure and the auto start-stop features. (laughs) We just, those need to go away. But I think these safety features are actually making us worse drivers. I've been I've been thinking this for a long time. I meant to write an article about this like a year ago and just never finished it. All right, I but, think you should. Um, the reason why I bring it up is New York Times actually did a similar article, well, like 2 weeks ago maybe. They were saying that we should all start going back to driving manual transmissions, not because, You're they're right, fun, we did touch on this, not yeah. because they're fun, but because they make drivers pay attention. You're yeah. having to do something interacting with the car while you're driving making you a more attentive driver and think about this scenario too you're driving in a rental car and you're used to your car that's got lane departure warning or blind spot monitoring Uh, or something sure and you get your car off Turo or budget or wherever you get your rental cars from and it doesn't have that you go to merge into traffic you're expecting a beep when it doesn't beep and you sideswipe a car because you're expecting a beep and not looking for yourself.
0: It's a crutch at that point that yes. you learn. Not everybody
1: does you. this, but th- that is a potential scenario with these safety features and the way that, that we're going. And that's kind of why, uh, I know you guys guys um, talk about it up one side and down the other, but that's why the autonomous things starting to happen. It's because we get so reliant on these safety features yeah. and it makes it so easy to text in a car and do all these other things that... People aren't so much driving anymore as they're being driven around by their own car.
0: Yeah, and I'm my mind is changing. You bring up a good point. My mind is changing about autonomous in general. I think it need, needs to either be zero or full level five and nothing in between. I agree. Because if it's level five, well, we know we're, we're counting on it. It's address to address, point to point, and the car is doing everything. I'm not involved. Or it's zero and I'm completely in control. I'm not at this halfway. Adaptive cruise control is making me grind my teeth because... It detects the car ahead of me and slows down to the speed the car is going. Like, what? Why are we slow? Oh, right, adaptive cruise. I need to change lanes, get around you. I'm, yeah, you know, I was expecting to to, you know, catch up to them at some point. The car slowed
1: down. Like, what do we lose power? Like, what happened? Oh, right. Well, not only that, but with the existing autonomous modes, be it Tesla or whoever, they're they're not the full autonomy, and exactly. they' people are not. You're supposed to pay attention. It says right on the dash when you go into the mode. you got to be alert and paying attention. But people aren't. You're right. They're not.
0: Okay, so last question here. Derek, uh, well, you're saying the the car insurance OBD or Bluetooth monitor ships (laughs) to get a safe drive discount. Should we as a car enthusiast run the OBD sensors? I say
1: no. That's kind of where I, I was, I was like, no. that sounds like a speeding ticket waiting to happen. That just, that just, you're, you're <laughs> or introducing, your rates are gonna climb. The,
0: the data being recorded is now going to be recorded forever. That the, the daily triple that you want to hit is going to be recorded and monitored. And yeah, not that I'm encouraging that by any sense, but we're not, enthusiast drivers and not
1: that your car's not already recording that because they do, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's okay with me.
0: We have gone way over time, guys. Thank you for joining us. And man, thanks again for being on. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah,
1: and thank you guys for always giving, showing me the love afterwards. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Guys, please keep sending your questions. We've got so many more that we haven't gotten to yet, and yeah. you know, we will keep trying. You're, you're burying us in questions, and that's a good thing. So really appreciate it. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.